pleasure to be able to stand before you this evening. I have so much enjoyed and appreciated the hospitality. You fed me well here again today. There was a, oh, what a spread that was. If you didn't stay and eat, then you missed a marvelous meal. I mean, it just really put me in the mood to do the scriptural thing. You know, I went back to my motel, and on the first day of the week, you're supposed to lay by and snore, so that potluck really put me right in that spirit to obey that command, and I appreciate you so much. Look forward to the next three days coming. You know, after tonight, we're halfway done. It just doesn't seem just doesn't seem right that after one day to stand up and say, well, we're halfway and still have three days to go. But Lord willing, I'm going to head back to Branson in the morning and get my wife to talk to her today. My daughter's doing much better, and uh, so she would like to come be with us. And, and I'd like for her to come be with us. It's about a four-hour round trip, so if you'll keep us in your prayers as I head that way and come back. It's four hours. It's well worth it because when she's here, I do a better job preaching. And you may say, well, how's that possible? Now, I always try to do my best. I know the Lord's here, and I'm preaching for him to bring him glory. But my wife, she critiques me. And the Lord, he just listens right now. So uh, she's the one that when I, sometimes when I, I just don't even look at her anymore. Because, you know, when you preach and you look down at your wife and she's going, that's not a good feeling. I remember one Sunday she just kept shaking her head and I just quit looking, you know, just preached to this side the rest of the day, you know, and, and got in the car and, and I said, all right, what was it? I know something. And she said, what did you preach about today? I said, I was preaching about Samson and Delilah. And she said, well, why did you keep saying Tarzan? It's good to have a helpmate that's, that's there to help you. And she's helped me a lot through the years. Yeah, and I look forward to you meeting my wife, Robin, tomorrow. Our theme, Faith is the Victory. And tonight we continue with that theme and talking about an obedient faith, which another way to look at that is to talk about faithfulness. In Galatians 5 and verse 22, Paul talks about, he names the fruit of the Spirit. And talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, he adds faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, in that judgment scene, Jesus says that the king will say to those who are faithful, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And then as we heard in our, in our scripture reading just a moment ago from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the last part of the verse, Be ye faithful even unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Obviously, to be able to go to heaven, we have to be faithful. And in this, in Revelation 2.10, in particular, and talking about being faithful, a lot of times when we say, well, what does it mean to be faithful even unto death? We immediately say, well, that means be faithful until you die. Well, that is correct, technically. But in this particular passage where Jesus says, be faithful even to death, what he's saying to these brethren is, be faithful even if being faithful means that you're going to have to give up your life because of your faithfulness. So that kind of brings it to a higher level than what most of us think about. Well, I need to be faithful until the day I die. Well, what if... 
you're going to die because you're being faithful. What does it mean, the word faithful? Well, I looked it up in Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, and there was basically two, two definitions there that went with it. It's steadfast in affection or allegiance, that is to be loyal or dedicated, and a firm adherence to promises. That means you are going to keep your promises or in observance of duty, that is performing your duty. So when we apply that to our spiritual life, we are to be faithful to God. We are to be steadfast in our affection and allegiance or loyalty to God. We are to stand firm in our keeping of the promises that we've made to God. We like to talk about the promises God has made for us, to us. But brethren, we need to understand something. When we became Christians, in doing so, we were making promises to him. And so to be faithful, we are keeping those promises and we are faithfully performing our duty, observing our duty. So let's break this down. Steadfast in allegiance. What does it mean to be steadfast in allegiance? That is, being loyal. As I just stated, when we become Christians... We make promises to Christ. Well, how is that? Well, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And so when we become a Christian, we are becoming part of the church, and so we each individually are part of the bride of Christ. Now, can a person, would you consider somebody faithful that is married that came home to their husband and wife and said, oh, by the way, I've got a girlfriend or I've got a boyfriend. Well, but I'm faithful to you. You don't have to worry about that. I'm being faithful to you. Nothing's happening. Would you consider them faithful just because they're saying nothing's happening? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now, we are spiritually married to Christ. Are we being faithful to him? Now, we just pointed, I just pointed out how a person may not be doing anything, as we say, but are they being faithful if they have a relationship with someone else outside of that marriage? Well, how is it that we can consider ourselves faithful if we have someone else in our life. What do you mean, Brother Kid? Well, I mean, I have no other gods before me. Well, is there anything in your life that you're still hanging on to that God said, that's wrong? Are there some things in your life that you're saying, well, you know, I know this isn't right, but look at all the good that I do. I mean, this is just one sin, and, and, and I'm so faithful to the Lord and everything else. I mean, look at all the good that I do. And we, we seem to think that when we stand before God, He's going to say, well, let's take all those good things and put it on the scales. Now let's take all the evil, bad things that you did, and let's put it on this side. And then we say, okay, let's measure. Oh, you just barely made it to heaven. Or you just barely were lost. Brethren, do you 
Do you suppose that's how it's going to be? Certainly not. Jesus said we're either for him or against him. We're either for him or we're against him. And so we can't have other relationships outside of Christ. Well, you know, I, I, I really don't like the fact that I, I'm doing this Brother Kid book, but, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I've been smoking for so long, and, and the only one I'm really hurting is myself. Well, let me see. What if a wife were to say that to her husband? I'm only hurting myself. Really? When we as a spouse only hurt ourselves, does that not hurt our spouse? For them to know that we are harming our, our body and then to say, well, I'm only hurt myself. Well, all of us know that when, we, when we're married, we become one. And so whatever I do to myself, I'm also harming her because we're in a relationship where we are trying to go to heaven and help each other as one together. Do you have any pet sins? Sometimes we call it that. We can't have anything, brethren. What In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Could you imagine a husband saying to somebody, they said, somebody says, hey, didn't I hear that you got married a while back? He goes, yeah, it's been six months, but luckily most people haven't found out yet. Would you consider that a good relationship? Would you say that that was healthy? And yet I'm afraid that there are those, I heard about the man that became a Christian, and he worked down in a, in a factory atmosphere, warehouse, where it was really rough. And everybody knew that it was going to be a test for him where his, where his Christianity was concerned to work in that environment. And somebody said, how's it going down there at the warehouse since you became a Christian? Oh, things are going great. It's been six months and nobody's found out yet. Do we live our life in a way that says that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Do we live our life in such a way that says we're not ashamed of being the bride of Christ? Letting people know that we have that relationship. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We live in such a way that there's no doubt that we have a relationship with God. You ever seen a shooting star? Been out walking on a nice warm summer night with your family, your loved one, and 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 it's all of a sudden there's a shooting star, and you go, "Excuse me, children, ch children, children, I want to show you something." There goes a shooting star. Is that how it happens? No, it's kind of like, "Did you see that?" Why? Because when there's a shooting star, it's just, it's just that quick. But how is it that we're able to see something that's just for a split second like that? It's because it's light in a world of darkness. 
And Jesus says that we are a light in a world of darkness. That we live our life in such a way that when I think about that shooting star, that tells me that because of the fact that we're able to see that for just a split second, why? Because it's different. That means that no matter where I go, even if I'm around somebody just for a little while, they ought to be able to tell that there's something different about me. They ought to be able to tell that there's something different about us as Christians because, brethren, we are lights in a world of darkness. Then again, it may be that we'd rather they not see us as being different. Are we ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Parents, are you trying your best to see how close you can get your kids to fit in with the kids in the world, of the world so that they don't have to deal with the chiding that goes with being different? We want to just see how close we can fit in with the world so that they don't have to deal with that. Brethren, we shouldn't be trying to teach our children how to live in the world. We teach our children to show the world how to live. And so when they come home and they say, you know, today this is what happened because this is how I live because of what I've been taught from the Bible, we've already told them to expect that. We've already told them that that's going to happen. And when that happens, that means they've done something right and not something wrong. And that's a time when we have the opportunity to tell our children, I'm proud of you for letting your light shine. Now, young people and older too, Let's suppose we had a chalkboard in the classroom for those that are in school. Let's suppose we had a, the whiteboard at the workplace. And you walked in there one day and the teacher or the employer had written on there the word Christian. And they said, based upon what your understanding of the definition of Christian is, I would like for you to write down the names of everyone in this class or everyone in this workplace whose name belongs under that word. Would your classmates put your name on there, young people? Would your co-workers put your name on there, brethren? Because you see, if you sit there going, well, you know, I'm not so sure if they... If, I, if we were to pass out a piece of paper and say, check... Yes or no? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Yes or no? No, I'm not ashamed. Well, do the people around you realize that? Now, brethren, if, we've, if, if for just a split second you sat there and you thought, I'm not sure what people would say, there's probably some things that you need to change. That's kind of like saying, I'm not sure whether anybody knows I love my wife or not. I'm not sure whether anybody knows I love my husband or not. I'm not even sure anybody even knows I'm married because I never even bring them up. You ever been around somebody that's talked about their wife or husband all the time? Oh, it makes me sick. Just oh, they're so syrupy. You'd think they were newlyweds. Been married all this time. It's just, oh, I love him. He does this. He does that. And he's just so sweet. And he's the cutest thing. When he, oh, come, would you stop it? 
Why do you talk so much? I just love him so much. You know, most of us, we, you know, we talk about how they just, they were, so, we were so in love, we could just eat each other up before we got married, and then after we get married, we wish we had. <laughs> but that's not how it ought to be. Because we love each other. We have no problem letting people know we love each other. We're not ashamed of our spouses and letting people know that's my spouse. Are we ashamed of being the bride of Christ? Do people know that? Steadfast in our allegiance, our loyalty, letting people know who we're loyal to. But that word steadfast also means unwavering. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. Jesus said, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Steadfast, meaning there's no question about where you stand. I remember there was a young man when I was in junior high. Walked into a classroom one day and he was just cursing and swearing. Teacher wasn't in there yet and he was just felt just flowing out of his mouth. And there was another young man in the classroom and he says, Would you please quit using that language? I find it very offensive. And he looked down and walked over to the guy at his desk and he looked down at him and said, Well, what are you, some kind of a Christian or something? The young man looked back up and said, Well, as a matter of fact, I am. And that kind of caught him off guard. Because you see, it's not cool to just matter-of-factly be able to say, I'm a Christian and that's the way I live. And he caught him so off guard, he goes, well, well, I am too. And a young lady sitting right there in front turned around and said, well, you had me fooled. Brother, do we have anybody fooled? Are we steadfast, that is, unwavering? Is there t- are there times when we're going back from hot to cold? You know, when I go to the worship services, I'm on, I am just on fire for the Lord. I can't wait to be there and to sing and to pray and participate in worship services. But, you know, tomorrow when I go to work, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and so you just got to do things differently. you got to change your mindset. you got to go out there. You just can't think spiritually when you're in a world like that. you got to do what the world Says you have to do to be able to survive. Hot, cold, lukewarm, or people just can't even figure out whether the light's on or off. Hmm. A lot of times when we talk about faithfulness, we do talk about the attendance. Now, Sunday night's not the best time to talk about attendance. I learned that from my father. Uh, he, I remember there'd be times we'd come back Sunday night and there would be you know, a large percentage of people who weren't back that night and he'd get so upset, he'd get up there, he'd change his lesson. He'd start preaching on attendance. After he'd done that two or three times, one of the elders put him aside and said, Brother Kibble, you're preaching to the choir. We need that lesson Sunday morning. <laughs> the ones that are there Sunday night, they know that. Well, something we see down at Branson a lot is a lot of visitors. And the majority of our visitors are there, going to be there on Sunday morning. Not for Bible class. Now, if they were home, would they be at Bible class? 
Well, well, I'm not home, okay. Mm. Are, you still not still, are you still not part of the bride of Christ? What changed in that relationship that if you were home with your spouse, that you would do something different? You would act different. But when you're not home, spiritually speaking, with your spouse, now it's a different story. Well, we'll have more people for worship. And the majority of people that are there on Sunday morning are going to go home after services because that's the end of their vacation. The majority of them, that's how they, that's just the routine in Branson for the majority of visitors, whether they're members of the church or not. Because if you don't come in time for Bible class, you're going to get stuck many times on that strip for people heading east back towards 65 and you can sit there on 76 on that parking lot for a couple of hours just trying to get to 65. But I'll visit with people who said, uh, I always ask them, when did you get into town? How long are you going to stay? Just making small talk with them. <clears throat> and many times they'll say, we just got in last night. We're going to be staying here for a week. Well, great. Look forward to seeing you. And then they're not back Sunday night. Well, Brother Kittle, do you know that they didn't attend another congregation in town? No, many times I don't. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. But when I walk into Walmart and there's that brother or sister that I talked to that morning, and I say, we missed you tonight. And they go, yeah, yeah. We went to a show. Well, I mean, that's what they're there for, Branson. It's, it's, it's vacation time. It's time to go to a show. Yeah, well, you know, we were, we were just getting our supplies together so that we could, uh, wouldn't have to leave the motel, go out to eat all that much. And so we just had some shopping. Yeah, we just didn't make it. But the Lord's first. What if uh, you called your wife, or your wife called you and, you know, and said, um, or actually, she didn't even call at all, just doesn't show up one, one day. And then the next morning, you know, you're worried to, de to death, you're calling around, can't find them, and then the next day, they just, you, you walk in your kitchen there, they're sitting there. Good morning. Where you been? Oh, I just didn't come home. What do you mean you just didn't come home? Well, you know, I had things to do. But you know where my heart is, honey. Well, I was worried about you. Well, you don't have to worry about me. I mean, how long have we been married? And it's the first time I've ever done anything like that. You know where my heart is. You know that my heart belongs to you. Would you say that's a good relationship? And yet I hear brethren say when they decide not to be at a worship service or a Bible study, say, well, the Lord knows where my heart is. You better believe he does. And it's not with him at that moment. Just because we say it's with him doesn't make it so. You try that with your wife or your husband. You know where my heart is. You better believe I know where it is because it wasn't here at home last night. Now, if we understand that physically, how come we have a problem with that spiritually? And parents, when we tell our children, we put the Lord first in this family, 
And then it comes Super Bowl time and Super Bowl Sunday and it's Sunday night and we're going to have, and, and the Super Bowl is going to be during the services. Well, we're not going to be going to services tonight because it's a special occasion. It's, it's the Super Bowl. And besides, the saints are in the Super Bowl and, and the saints, that's kind of like church, isn't it? And we know God's pulling for the saints. And so we're going to, and we tell our child, God's first. He knows where our heart is. And you know what that child's thinking? We're going to skip church tonight and watch football. Do, and, and then the children grow up, and many of them are unfaithful, and the parents go, What happened? We took them to church. We took them to Bible class. Where did the church go wrong? What did the preacher do, not do? And what did the elders That person, that deacon that was working with the youth, this is his fault. Does vacation change what we should do in our allegiance? Being steadfast in it? Does our vacation time, our sports time, or whatever it is, our work time, does it meet the definition of being steadfast, unwavering in our allegiance to God? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You know what the Hebrew writer tells us? He says... God's faithful. Now how does our faithfulness compare to His? That's what He says. Are we faithful in our promises because God is faithful in His? We say, well, how how can I compare me as a human being to God who is perfect, who never makes any mistakes? So are we saying that God who is perfect, who never makes any mistakes, that gives us permission to make mistakes when they're not mistakes when we choose to do it on purpose. Faithfulness is being loyal and it's keeping our promises. You know, when we got married, probably every one of us went through a ceremony where we said something like, we promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish. Forsaking all others till death do us part. Probably every one of us in here that went through a ceremony said something like that to our spouse. What did we do? We made promises. We call it a vow. We were promising to be faithful to one another. And we expect our mate to keep their promises. When we became Christians, we made promises to our spiritual spouse. Well, what do you mean we made promises? Well, in Colossians 3, 9, uh, we promised to put off the old man. We're going to put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language. We promised that we were going to obtain the fruit of the Spirit. And that is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You ever heard somebody say, well, yeah, i got a bad temper, but that's just the way I am. Well, that better just be the way you were. Because when you made, a, when you became a Christian, you promised your spiritual spouse that you were going to put off anger. 
Well, how can I put it off? That's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you choose to be. You ever heard somebody say, oh, they make me so mad. Nobody makes you mad. You choose to be mad. Some things are worth getting angry over, but we better make sure we don't sin in that anger. But nobody makes us mad. We choose to be angry. And so when we became Christians, there are things that we promised we were going to change. Are we faithful in keeping those promises? Or have we, you know, could you imagine somebody going through saying those vows in a wedding and immediately afterwards go out and, and start a man looking over, he's looking at the bridesmaids, ooh, way, hey, yeah. You say, didn't you just, I just heard you say, ah, don't hurt the look. Does it hurt the look? Of course it does. Of course it does. And when it comes to the promises that he just made, forsaking all others, does it not, ladies, include looking? Of course it does. When you're thinking things that you have no business thinking, lust in your heart. We're married spiritually to Christ, and we made promises. We promised to obey God. And brethren, when we don't keep a promise, we tell our children that that's lying. Now, when we teach our children about lying, do we take that lightly? If our children lie to us, do we not consider that to be very serious and that needs to change? Well, I don't know of a parent that thinks that that's okay, that their children grow up lying. Brethren, it's not okay for little children to lie. It's not okay for grown-ups to lie. Revelation 21.8, when John is talking there about those who are going to be cast into the lake of fire, one of the groups of people that he says are going to be cast into the lake of fire is all liars. Well, I don't go around telling bold-faced lies. Well, but have you kept your promise to God that you were going to make changes? We made promises. Are we trying to keep those promises? Or are we living a lie? To be faithful, brethren, means to keep our promises. Not only is it keeping our promise, but it's observing our duty. You know, husbands and wife in their relationships, they have duties. There have been many times in, in marriage counseling where I've had a husband or a wife sit there and go, well, if they just do their part, I'd do my part. I mean, why should I do, why should I do anything if they're not going to do anything? Because in this relationship, it should be 50-50, so it equals 100, and they're not doing their 50%. Brethren, the Bible doesn't teach anything about 50-50. The Bible teaches 100-100. What the Bible teaches us is even if your wife, man, does not perform any of her duties as a wife, God still expects you to do 100% of what he says is your duty as a husband. Wives, if your husband is just a worthless, lazy bum, and I come hard down harder on the men because I am one, not a lazy bum. <laughs> My wife's not here. 
Even if he's one of those fellas that just wants to sit there and be a couch potato and he's not going to be doing the thing, he's just not living like he ought to do and keeping his promises, observing, taking care of his duties. God says, wives, I expect you to perform 100% of your duties. Because you see, even though you should be helping each other go to heaven, if you allow your spouse to, if you use your spouse as an excuse not to do what you know you should be doing, instead of helping each other go to heaven, you're just helping each other be lost. And you're allowing him or her to take you to a place of destruction where they're going. And you say, boy, Brother Kelly, those are really harsh words. You're talking about destruction and, and, and eternal damnation. You're talking about going to hell because, because if we're not living the way God said that we're to live in our relationship with our husbands and wives. Do you know Peter talked about how mm, if a husband doesn't treat his wife as the weaker vessel, that his prayers will be hindered? Can a person go to heaven if God's not listening to the prayers? And the only reason he's not hearing his prayers is because he's just not treating his wife the way she's supposed to be treated. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is what? Your reasonable service. In our spiritual relationship with God, it's only reasonable that we live in a way in which we're trying to serve God and make Him happy. We want to please God. Faithful in obedience is to be righteous, that is, to be right with God. Now, righteousness, and we're going to look at this, Lord willing, Wednesday night in more detail about what it means to live a righteous life. But to be righteous involves action. Somebody, a lot of times we talk about how, well, I, you know, I'm not involved in these bad things. I haven't ever lied. You know, I'm not a liar. I don't steal. I don't kill. You know, I haven't been unfaithful, committed adultery on, on my spouse. You know, I don't do bad things, so I must be pretty good. I must be going to heaven because I don't do bad things. First John 2, 9, 29, John wrote, if you know that he's righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. First John 3, 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is just, is just, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And then first John 3, 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, what does it mean to practice something? If somebody, if a young man says, I'm going, I'm going to ball practice, what is he doing? Going to sit on the bench? Is that practice? Well, it was for me because that's the position I played. But we understand when somebody's going to practice, they're doing, they're going through the motions of what they're expected to do to perform in that sport. It's an action. And so the Bible tells us that we are to work Righteousness. Brethren, does that sound to you like it's just doing nothing? Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 35, 
Every nation who ever fears him, fears God, and works righteousness is accepted by him. Do you know what the word work means? You know, we understand that. You go to, you, you go to your work, to your workplace, to the job. It reminds me of the man, the guy said, Oh, you work down here at the factory? How long have you been working down here at the factory? Well, ever since they threatened to fire me. We know what it means to work, that we have to be actively involved in something. And so God says, the Bible tells us that to be righteous, which is to be faithful, means we've got to be active in performing our duties. Now somebody might say, well, it sounds to me like it's just a matter of keeping rules. Okay, I, thou shalt not, check, check, thou shalt, check, check. Brethren, if it's just a matter of keeping rules, I could pay an atheist to keep rules. But is he going to heaven? Certainly not. Why? Because his motivation is not that of what should be the motivation behind the performance of those. But, you know, the, in Luke chapter 15, that, that uh, elder brother, you remember how when he, when the younger brother came home, he went outside and he sat under that tree, his lip rolled out, pout, you know, never killed a kid for me and throwing a, throwing a party for my. Why was he lost? And Jesus was talking about lost people when he used him as an example. He never left home. That meant he never left the church building. He was actively working in service for the Father. He was active in the duties of the church. He was out there doing what the Father would have him to do, going through the motions, check, 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 and he's lost. Why? Because he didn't love his brother. Is it possible that we claim to love God? I believe John wrote about that. If we say that we love a brother, we love God, but we don't love a brother, we don't really love God. Because how can we love He who we've not seen, and we don't love those we do see? We sing, "Oh, how I love Jesus," and then we look out the corner of our eye when services are over to make sure we don't. Walk out into the aisle at the same time and bump into sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so because right now we're not getting along so well. But oh, how I love Jesus. Rule keepers. Faithfulness is being steadfast in our affection as we close here. It's not a matter of just keeping rules. Oh, yes, there will be nobody in heaven that does not, that have not been trying to obey God's commandments, but it's going to be based upon the right motivation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, Paul said, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Am I faithful to my wife? If I keep rules because I know it's going to keep us from having a problem. It's like the husband who kept coming home and finding, criticizing his wife. I always find something wrong. She says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down everything that I'm supposed to do 
to be considered a faithful wife. Write it down. Everything that I'm not supposed to do, write it down. And I will, don't leave anything out. Because I'm going to follow your list. And so every day, washing the clothes, taking care of the children, whatever, check, check, check. And she's just, just with anger every day. <clears throat> she's just taking care of that because of the fact that she doesn't want to hear what he's going to have to say. After a few years, that man died. A few years later, she met another man who happened to be a fine Christian man who treated her differently. And one day when she was going through some drawers and cleaning out some things, she came across the list that her first husband had had her, that she'd had him write out. And she got to looking at immediately it just flew all over. Oh, the things that he made me do. And then she looked at it, and she realized that everything he made her do, she was doing in that relationship because she wanted to do it. Paul said, even though I give everything that I have to the poor, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Now, what did you say? I can say, oh, I'm going to give everything that I have. You know, you people need things. I'm not, I don't have anything left. You've got it all. Isn't that a good thing to do to help poor people? Yes. But my motivation isn't because I love them or love God. Uh, Paul said that doesn't profit us a bit. He said, even though I give my body to be burned. What's he talking about? Well, I've been arrested. They said, if you don't quit talking about Jesus, if you don't quit living this life of a Christian, we're going to burn you to a stake. He says, well, just light the match. And they burned my body because I refused to deny Christ, but I'm not being burned and I'm not because of my obedience, because I love Christ. It profits me nothing. You see, brethren, it's not a matter of just keeping rules. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. If we're faithful to God then we're going to try our best to know what it is he wants us to do. And we're going to forsake all others. We're going to be firm to our promises. And we're not going to have anybody else. We're going to be loyal to him. And we want to, we want to please him because we love him. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, John wrote, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect. Why are you here tonight? Why'd you come back tonight? Because it's one of the rules. I'm afraid that sometimes we do our children a disservice while we're trying to raise them up to be faithful so that they'll go to heaven, that we don't choose our words very wisely and we don't help them to understand and they're not motivated correctly. Sunday afternoon, got a child watching a sporting event on there. Father comes through and he kicks him in the foot, says, you need to get ready, it's almost time to go 
for services tonight. Oh, Dad, you know, it's, they went, they're in the sudden death here. There's a sudden death playoff in, the, in, in this golf match, and I want to see who wins. And we're always there on Sunday night. Can't we stay just this one time so I can see who's going to win this match? You want to go to hell, boy? You want the devil to get you and take you to hell? No. Well, you want to miss church to watch golf? Well, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. You want to go to hell? Then you better get ready and come on. And then he comes and he sits on the front row and he's singing right along. Oh, how I love Jesus. Please don't send me to hell, Jesus. Now, why is he here? Because he's afraid not to be here. What's the motivation to be here? Fear. Now, what did John say? There's no fear in love. But perfect fear, perfect love casts out fear because that involves torment. What's he talking about? He's talking about a mature love. We don't have to worry about being punished by God if in our relationship we do what we do because we love God. We're so concerned about pleasing him, we're not worried about going to hell. We're looking forward to going to heaven. What if that father, when he came through and the son said, Oh, do we have to, Dad? He goes, Well, son, certainly we don't have to. He would admit, We don't. But in this family, we want to. What do you mean, Dad? I mean, this is our opportunity to go and thank God. For what he's done for us. Do you know that if it weren't for his love for us. That he would have never sent Jesus to die on the cross. So that we could be forgiven. So that one day that we could go live with him in heaven. No son we don't have to go. We get to go. We have the opportunity to go. And thank God for what he's done. And now when he's sitting on the front row singing. Oh how I love Jesus. He's singing about oh how he loves Jesus. And he wants to be here. Brethren, do you want to be here or do you have to be here? Are you steadfast in your allegiance to God? Is the kingdom of God first? Or is there another master in your life? Are you firm in adhering to the promise you made to God when you became a Christian to obey God's commandments? Do you obey the Lord because you are steadfast in your love for Him? That is, you're keeping His commandments because you love them and it's not a burden. Are you walking faithfully? If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, I want to give you an opportunity to become one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Will you repent of your sins? Come confess in your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you be baptized for the remission of your sins, buried with Christ in a watery grave, to come in contact with the blood of Jesus? He shed his blood at his death, and we're buried into his death. Rise up a brand new creature. As a child of God, have you sinned and fallen short of his glory? Is it possible that you've not been living in a way that proclaims to the world and to your family that you're not ashamed of being a Christian? The gospel of Christ. Brethren, it's, I understand the temptation to want to fit in, to be accepted. But have you ever thought about 
those people that we want to impress so much that we want to be accepted by are lost. We want so badly for those folks who are lost to accept us. Where in reality, we should be living in such a way that they would look to us and say, you've got something I need. And they'll be drawn to us instead of us being drawn to them. It's almost as if some people think, well, at least if I'm lost, I'm going to be lost with friends and we're going to, at least we'll have each other in hell. Really? You really think that? That people are going to be going, you know, well, we're not going to be worried about how bad it is because we have each other to, to visit with. You need to get your Bible out and read again about the fact that hell is a place where it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's nobody that's going Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man who found himself in torment. And he said, I don't want my family to come here. Let your light shine so that men will see your good works and God will receive the glory. Don't be ashamed of that. Is it possible, though, that you've fallen short? It may be that as we sing this song here in just a moment, you, you need to pray to God and just silently from your pew because of the fact that nobody knows what you've done or haven't done except God you need to be forgiven of that you need to restore that relationship with God but you've, if your decisions have caused you in a public fashion for folks to know that because of the things that you decided to do or not to do then that's a public sin. And you need to repent of it as publicly as it's been committed. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. God will forgive you. The angels in heaven will rejoice. We'll rejoice right along with them, and we will run this race together. We're not against one another, brethren. We're not running against one another. Because when a brother falls, we should be there to help pick him up. When I fall, I need you to be there to help pick me up. That's what it's about. We're running the race together. The Hebrew writer says, let us run the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He talks about laying aside the weight, the sin that so easily besets us. You realize laying aside weight? It's talking about things that are just things that are slowing us down, not sins, because we lay aside the weight and the sin. Are there things in your life that's interfering with your running? Well, it's another lesson for another time. But the most important thing that we can establish as a Christian family when we come together like this, what we're trying to do is help each other go to heaven. Sometimes people think when we get to this part of the lesson, you know, it's just a matter of, okay, let's stand and sing and then we'll be done. Brethren, when we get to this point of the lesson, the point of extending the invitation is to encourage us to be stronger. And if there's a need for somebody to be right with God, this is the perfect opportunity to say, I've fallen short and I need God's forgiveness and I need strength. And we as a family... 
will pray together so that you will receive that forgiveness and that strength. And as a family, we'll help you and you can help us to avoid the things that have caused you to stumble. And it causes us, we're trying to help each other go to heaven. That's what we're doing here. We're just trying to go to heaven. It's not a club. It's not just something we do. It's who we are. We're a family. I want to go. I need your help. I want to help you. Do you have a need to respond to the Lord's invitation? We encourage you to come now while we stand and sing this song. While we are praying for you, come, sinner, come. Now is the time to own him, come, sinner, come. Now is the time to know him, come, sinner, come. Are you too heavy laden, come? Sinner, come. Jesus will bear your burden, come, sinner, come. Jesus will not deceive you, come, sinner, come. Jesus cannot redeem you, come, sinner, come. Oh, Tender pleading, come, sinner, come, come and receive the blessing, come, sinner, come. While Jesus whispers to you, come, sinner, come, while we are praying for you, come, sinner. Seated. Turn to 444. 444. We'll sing the first verse before the Lord's Supper is offered. There was one who was willing to die in my stead. That a soul so unworthy might live And the path to the cross He was willing to tread All the sins of my life to forgive They are nailed to the cross They are nailed to the cross Oh, how much he was willing to bear. With what anguish and loss Jesus went to the cross. But he carried my sins with him
Well, the table's been left prepared for those that were not here this morning or not able to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we take, partake of these emblems, let us remember the sacrifice that our Savior made for us. This bread that represents his body and the fruit of the vine that represents his blood. Mike, would you give an offering for the bread? That's all about our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to surround this table once again. We pray, Heavenly Father, as those who are partaking of this bread, they take their minds back to the cross and remember Christ's body hung on the cross for our sins. And we ask that they partake of it in a manner that is pleasing unto you. And it's in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Just raise your hand and you'll be served. Cody, would you give the blessing for the cup? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the many blessings that you've given to us. Thank you for Tim Kidwell's lesson today. And please bless the cup as they partake of it. In Christ's name, amen. offering plate will be left up here for anybody wishing to give after the services. Take song book and turn to hymn number 611. 
Rex will lead us in that closing hymn. We give with thanks to Rex for leading us in our singing. We'll continue to do so through the throughout the gospel meetings. And uh, first, let me just uh, say again uh, what uh, Tim said about the meal this afternoon. Uh, <clears throat> really was fine. And uh, thanks to uh, all the ladies who brought food and whatever men may have. Uh, but uh, thanks to everyone who set up, cleaned up, who stayed and participated. It was really a, an outstanding fellowship dinner. And uh, we appreciate all the effort that goes into to making that a success. And uh, thanks to Tim for three fine lessons today. We've, uh, we've certainly been challenged today with uh, teaching from Scripture, and we appreciate that. Uh, uh, some of us, uh, you know, I hear a lot being a preacher. I hear people say, well, boy, you stepped on my toes today. Uh, some of us uh, may have had some toes uh, stepped on. Some of us may have been even a little irritated at some things said, but uh, that's good. You know, the preacher's work is to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted, I've heard. So it's good for us to be afflicted. It's good for us. And, and what I hope you will do, myself and all of us here at South Highway 5, is, is make application of the word taught to self. Uh, he mentioned uh, Brother Gus Nichols. Gus Nichols is the one I remember saying some people come to church with a rake and some people come to church with a pitchfork. Some people come to church raking all the truth in and making application to themselves. But then there are some people who just do the pitchfork and toss it back to the people sitting beside them or behind them. And I want to be someone with the rake today and throughout this gospel meeting. And, and I sure, I'm sure you understand what I what I'm saying, and I'm sure you agree. So we're looking forward to three more great lessons from Brother Tim. Looking forward to having Robin up with us tomorrow as well. And looking forward to seeing uh, all of you back tomorrow night. We've got visitors here tonight. Good to see the Shavers and, and others. Uh, and look forward to having uh, uh, three more great uh, times together before this gospel meeting is ended. Brother Rex. Let's be standing. We'll sing the first verse only and then be, be led in closing prayer. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you, take it then wherever you go. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name. Father, we come to you tonight thanking you so much for this opportunity that you gave us today to come together and to study and to pray, to sing songs, to fellowship with one another. We pray that uh, the things that have been said and done will do much good, that we will take this up into our hearts and apply it to our lives and to become stronger and better Christians for you. We ask that you be with the sick, especially those that were mentioned, Brother Leatherman and Mr. Jones. We pray that their health be returned back to them, if it be thy will. 
We also ask that you be with each one of us as we depart from here and bring us back tomorrow night. Guide and keep us and forgive us our sins. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.